Do you ever find yourself yearning to look beyond the obvious and dreaming about what's possible in your next chapter? Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Lissette, former corporate executive who turned the page to become a best-selling author, entrepreneur, designer, and lifestyle business consultant. Episodes feature me and a kaleidoscope of guests who share their journeys with wit, candor, and humor, breathing life into real talks about things that matter most. I believe we all have a fire burning within us, waiting to be unleashed and shared with the world. It may just be a matter of time. So let's get together, turn the page, and get this adventure started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Lissette. Today's guest is Darcy Luma, and she is a master certified coach, a facilitator, and a motivational speaker. She has worked for a U.S. Senator, Deputy Transition Director for Governor, and on the National Advance Team for two U.S. presidential campaigns. As the owner and CEO of Darcy Luma Coaching and Consulting, LLC, She's worked in 48 industries with 210 organizations and more than 500 individual clients to create high-performing people and teams. The media has named Darcy the region's favorite executive and life coach four times. Darcy balances her thriving business with raising two energetic teenage daughters, adventure traveling, and competing in triathlons. Darcy, welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. Thank you so much. It's just a pleasure to be with you. So looking forward to our conversation today. I would like to start off with your book, Thoughtfully Fit. And I have to tell you, I've read the book from cover to cover, and I've enjoyed every page. What struck me initially at first, Darcy, was the focus on the core. And when most of us see the word fit, we associate it with being physically fit and working different parts of our body. However, in your analysis, thoughtfully fit is working on our core framework with a focus on the pause, the think, and the act approaches. But before we go there, Let's rewind for a moment and talk more about you. I own a coaching consulting firm that I love. Everything we do focuses on creating thoughtfully fit people and teams that are high performing, that are able to clear the hurdles, that get in the way. Inevitably, we always have different challenges. And I'm still a triathlete. I'm in season 24. I've done two triathlons this season. I've got, I think, two or three more that I have coming up. I love the opportunity to be in a community, to be fit, to be social. It's really about that. It's not about placing or winning or performing in any way. Yeah, I find it very fascinating and very inspiring. I am not trying to walk in your footsteps with the triathlons, okay? <laughs> I am not trying to do that. In fact, I was walking this morning and I thought to myself, walking is my jam. Oh, and walking is so healthy. It's yeah, so yeah. good. Yeah, walking is my jam. And I have had a lot of success with just adding walking to my program. But when I read all of the things that you've done as it relates to being physically fit, unbelievable. But before we get to that, let's rewind for a second. One of the things that actually intrigued me about your background was the work that you did with the U.S. Senator and working in the political space. And I'm fascinated by that, especially because the days and times that we're in right now. 
There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. I spent the first two decades of my career in politics and campaigns, and I was on the front lines with angry constituents and lobbyists and protesters. And that's also part of what inspired me to want to launch my business, to write the book, to help people be thoughtfully fit, because I saw a lot of people not handling themselves thoughtfully, really myself included. When I started as a leader in the senator's office, I was not saying no. I wanted to prove myself. So I was saying yes to everything. So everything was watered down. I wasn't leading well from my heart. There was so much that I had to learn and that I watched as I was seeing different types of people and groups get triggered and not handle themselves, react poorly when blindsided and not be able to have balanced relationships. And so that combination of my background in politics with my background in athletics and realizing that, gosh, isn't it fascinating that when I train and practice for a race, it's easier and it's more fun. And that's what I found with my clients is when they come in with a problem, with a challenge, and they train and practice to engage their core and to pause instead of reacting when they're blindsided and get called out in a meeting, they can pause and think, how do I want to show up? What do I control here? What are my choices? And then act with that new awareness. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And so that's where that inspiration came from in the political field combined with the athletics and the physically fit to do what I do now, which I love. That's outstanding. As I read that, the pause, the think, and the act, it reminded me of a situation that I was in when I was in my corporate position and it involved a leader who came to visit with me and my team and all of our students that we were training. He came in with a certain type of energy. And then, of course, he indicated to me he needed my time. So I broke away from this meeting. We had a large group of over 50 people we were training at that time. But he came in with this energy and I could feel it. So we sat down and talked and he was irritated about something that had happened. Now, he flew in from another state. So I can only imagine that all along his journey, he was thinking about whatever he was thinking about. By the time he arrived, he had a certain type of energy. So I let him go and rant and rave and all of this that he wanted to do. And when I did respond, he was very abrupt in how he handled me. So we ended our meeting. I went back in and conducted the meeting and facilitated and did all of that. And then I slept on it. And I said to myself, this is not over. I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. And I did talk to him the very next day. And I had him revisit how he communicated with me, how I felt about that. And I felt confident in that moment that I could tell him, this is what you brought to me. And this is how it was received. I'm going to play it back for you to revisit it and then come to your own conclusion. He did end up humbly apologizing. Two years later, we were having lunch and he replayed it again. And it was a completely different view of the situation. And we laughed about it. He said, you gave it to me, Jeanette. You gave it to myself. Oh, if I had given it to you, you would have really known in that moment. You didn't receive half of what I was thinking about. But the point being is though I had enough wherewithal to understand that I was not going to get my message across to him With all the energy that he was bringing, I just let him have his time and then revisited the next day. So when I read that, what is it? Rinse, repeat. It reminded me of that situation. What a fabulous example of you engaging your core. So in that moment, when he gave you a piece of his mind, you could have reacted, you could have gone at it and it could have escalated. And two years later, you wouldn't have been laughing about it. Two years later, (laughs) right? There might have have burned a bridge. You hit the pause button. You took some time to think, to sleep on it, Mm -hmm. to get a perspective, and then went back and acted and acted thoughtfully, no less. 
So because you have to do all three steps for you to hit the pause button and give some space and to think beautiful. The piece that you did in particular that with that is sometimes harder is the acting is going back to have the conversation and say, hey, can we revisit that instead of right silently stewing or convincing yourself it'll get better on its own. So needless to say, I've had my experiences. But what fascinated me about your walk and probably more so because of what we've been challenged with over the last two years here in the United States as it relates to politics. Like, Darcy, they need you. They need you because it seems like anymore individuals or people feel like it is their right to act out and to say whatever it is on their mind at whatever moment and it's going to be okay. Yeah, and this is so interesting because one of my role models, the U.S. Senator that I worked for, he he's the epitome of thoughtfully fit. And we were at an event, downtown Madison campaign event, and he got introduced. He was just about to go up and a group of protesters took over the podium and they started senator you then mama and so the staff people that were there we were like looking at him and ready to go and get them off and he's just let it be and he sat there and he listened to them and they and eventually they lost steam and so he waited until they were done and then he went up and took the stage and and he started talking and they started yelling he said respectfully i listened to your concerns and now i would just love to ask for the same respect that you listen to my comments now and he was so calm and thoughtful and he didn't overreact he didn't add fuel to the fire that level of statesmanship is really i think what's needed more and more today in politics it's interesting because i do believe that we have someone in office right now president biden who I believe most of the times is a statesman where he's seemingly able to keep a balance. Now, this is the thing that I've noticed, that there are many people who feel he is weak because he doesn't run off at the mouth and explode with all of all of this bluster and self-importance and all of that that we have seen in a prior administration. I'm not trying to get political here, but the reality is just the reality, okay? Sometimes it can be taken as a weakness. I don't see it as a weakness. But some people do look at it as a weakness. And from my view and my seat, regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum, if we can get to a place where we can stay engaged in healthy, respectful, passionate debate, we're going to get better outcomes. And I think, sadly, the negative ads and the vitriol, that sparks emotions and it works in one way. It works. I don't think it works in terms of getting necessarily the best policies and then the best debate. But now that you're in the coaching and consulting space... Do you work mostly with corporate clients or do you also work with entrepreneurs? Yes, we work with both. And as a matter of fact, I've got a portion, I've got seven coaches on my team and some of the coaches also are life coaches. And so they're working with stay-at-home parents or nonprofit, all sorts of educators that I'd say the majority of our business is in organizations and doing individual and team coaching and then also the training consulting. So why don't we, for the benefit of our listeners, talk a little bit about the coaching space and the life coaching space, because many times folks just don't really have have a grasp of what it is and the value. So can you speak yeah. to coaching or life coaching? Yeah, you bet. So I'll start with Jeanette. What's oftentimes a misperception is somebody hears, oh, you're a coach. They think that I'm going to come in and give you advice and tell you what to do, similar to an athletic coach. That's very different. So a coach primarily is there to, to get really clear on what are your what's your vision? What does success look like? Whenever I'm working with a new client, we identify what are the primary focus areas? So at the end of the coaching, we can measure, 
Have we been successful? Did you meet your goals? And then in the coaching, the client, so if I'm coaching you, Jeanette, and you come in, I'm holding you as the expert. You know what success looks like, what's getting in the way, where you get triggered, you know what the gaps are. I can't give you advice because if I did, it's advice based on what my challenges and gaps and success looks like. And so with coaching, you're the expert and I'm asking powerful questions. I'm holding up the mirror. I'm pointing out blind spots to help you get new awareness. And then it's all about, okay, with that new awareness, what are you going to do between now and our next session in two weeks? So it's bite-sized pieces of action and then accountability. That's very different from oftentimes when I'm going to an organization, they say, we have a coaching culture. Really what they have are mentors. I'm a huge fan of mentoring. It's very important. I have had mentors. I have been a mentor. But if I'm mentoring you, Jeanette, I'm the expert. Let me share with you what I've learned. And if you want that job, let me take you to this event and introduce you to these people. Let me update your resume with you. I'm the expert. Very valuable. It's different from coaching. And then the last thing I'll share, just because you asked about coaching, I'll take it from the high level for a moment, is sometimes people say, how is that different from having a therapist? And I'm also, I've got a phenomenal therapist. She's been with me the last six years as my life blew up and has helped me navigate the challenges. But therapy looks at it through the lens of the past and history. And what do you need to do to heal and recover from in order to get to a functional life? And I'm overly simplifying it. Therapy is so much more. Coaching doesn't go to the past. It says, who are you today? And who do you want to be in the future to have a fulfilled life? The other distinction is, I'll say with coaching, I'm assuming that you are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. With therapy, that may not be the case. You may have bipolar. You may have depression. You may have anxiety. You may have PTSD. There's all sorts of things that a therapist is trained to do that would not be appropriate in coaching. Is that too much? No, that was perfect. Because again, I think that there's a little bit of, not really mystery, but it's just a clear as to the difference. And many people don't see the value of having a coach and or a life coach. This, this is another thing though. There's a lot of, and I thought about this the other day when I was talking to my assistant and we are talking about the whole coaching piece. You are a master certified coach, but there's a lot of folks out there who are coaching, who are just coaching. And there are a lot of voices, so many people just talking, talking about what they think they can do for other people. When I look at the credentials, some have, some don't and things of that nature. So let's go down that road real quick so that we can get some additional clarity on that. So you're a master certified coach. What does that mean? That means I did 2,500 hours of coaching. I had to submit recordings with other master coaches to listen to. It was the most rigorous process. I went through multiple levels to get to mastery. There's a 96% failure rate in the world. And there's only 3.8% of coaches last I looked, which is about a year ago of coaches in the world have that designation because it's really hard to not jump in and fix and solve and teach and give advice. And that is not coaching. The reality is anybody tomorrow could put up a website and say they're a coach. There is no bar to entry. And sadly, that means that, yeah, there's a full range out there of expertise on being really effective in being able to help somebody move the needle on what they want in life. When I looked at your profile and your biography and all of the hours and hours that you have spent, 
event, getting certified and becoming educated on how best to serve others. It's very evident in your book, Thoughtfully Fit, that you have applied those things that you've learned. And without doing that, you would not have obviously had the success that you've had. 100%. When I first started coaching, I didn't have a, a credential. I didn't have a certification. I just was like, I want to coach. And I did the same thing that many other people did. I put my shingle out there and I was good. It wasn't until I got trained and certified and credentialed that I became masterful. My clients weren't getting the results. I was good, but I was not great. I was not. I would not have the business I have today had I not invested my own skill set to become masterful. And so I just challenge people, if you were looking for a coach, there are tons and tons of credentialed coaches. Just look at the International Coach Federation. There's a coach finder you can look on there. That just shows that the people who have gotten that designation have gone through the rigorous training and certification, not to mention the ethics, to be able to be a coach, a professional coach. I really was drawn to many chapters of your book. And as I mentioned, I've read the entire book. As you break down the core and what's important in terms of the pause, in terms of just taking a time to just breathe, just let it settle for a moment. Can we talk a little bit about the pause, the thinking and taking action? The pause is the first step of the core. And the pause is essential because it's what kicks you off of autopilot. You clearly are fundamentally pausing that you didn't react in that moment to that executive who was giving you a piece of his mind. You took the time to pause. When you got that email, you paused. The pause is what sets you up to be able to think. And so I want you to think about the pause like a stop sign. If you're driving along and you want to get to Target on the other side of town, you get to a stop sign, you don't stop and take out your lunch and your laptop and start replying to emails. You just stop and raise your awareness and then proceed. And so that pause might be a breath. It might be counting to three. It might be, as you did, let me sleep on this. It's what is essential to be able to give you access to making a conscious choice instead of an unconscious reaction in the moment. One of the things that I try to be aware of, and you talk a lot about self-awareness as well in your book, is to be aware in that moment as to what's happening so that I don't respond with a knee-jerk response or some default that's been triggered. There's times when I can jump off like that and other times when I'm so aware of the situation and also what I might have at stake, should I just pop off? That's the other thing. Sometimes think to myself, what do I have to gain by doing that? And what would be on the loss side? Yes. Beautiful. And that's a perspective. That's the pause gives you a chance to think. Those are some fabulous questions you can ask and to think, okay, if I proceed this way, what do I have to gain? What do I have to lose? You can try on different perspectives and anticipate what it looks like. And it's like, oh, actually, there's a lot to lose. If I give him a piece of my mind right now, I might leave feeling better, but the relationship might be damaged. And who knows where that goes? Beautiful, powerful questions to ask yourself and to think. Now, let's talk a little bit about the act piece, because you talk a a lot about the fullness in the act as you're looking at all angles and how it's going to impact or influence outcomes and things like that. So here's what I'd like to share with your listeners and your fans is that each of us have a default. One of these that we're most comfortable with, that's most natural. So some people who are pausers, they're really good at taking that beat, but our things taken to extreme become a weakness. That pause might turn into a five hour Netflix binge and avoidance. There's some who are really good at thinking, though you're able to ask yourself those 
those critical questions, but maybe you get stuck in the thinking and it becomes analysis paralysis. And then you're silently stewing, but never pulling the trigger. And then some are really good at acting. Something happens and they get stuff done. They're going to immediately move the ball forward, but it may be impulsive. It may be overreacting and maybe you have to clean up the mess. So the key is to do all three in order. So they're the people who are really good at pausing or thinking, that's a huge strength, but you still have to act. You can't just spiral and think and stew on that conversation you want to have with that person that really offended you. At some point, you need to go and have the conversation. You need to act. And then that's where the wash, rinse, repeat comes because then you can pause again and think, how did that go? Did I get the results I wanted? Is there something else that I want to do as a follow-up? Maybe I send a thank you note or a follow-up email or some other act to reinforce it. Well, I love this conversation. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation in part two. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations, so until then, keep that fire burning.